Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Wilson. Odoo. Modern management made simple. Resolute Square. Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. No, it's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. (laughs) I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Hi, folks, and welcome to The Enemies List. My guest today is my friend Miles Taylor. Miles is a former Trump administration national security official who saw the light, got the hell out, and has now been one of the people in the pro-democracy side of this fight ever since, who has been trying to, to shine a light not only on what happened in the Trump administration previously, but what could happen in the future if Trump were to return to office. He is the author of a tremendous new book called Blowback. And I think it is one of these things that's going to shake a lot of people up because it is a very clear set of additional revelations of how a lot of the things that we did wrong the last time around are coming back again. And the idea that the abuse of power in the prior administration was shocking, I think Miles is is telling a, a story here correctly that the future would make what happened between 2016 and 2020 look like a warm-up act. Miles Taylor, welcome to the Enemies List, my friend. How are you doing? It's awesome to be with you. And I will just say at the top end, you know, as you were going through that intro, th- this thought hit me, and I said this to someone the other day, our friend Reed Galen, mm-hmm. is I really hate this. <laughs> I like yeah. being on with you. I love being with you, but I hate this field. I didn't want to go into politics. I don't I got like you. politics. I like public policy. Mm-hmm. I'm a national security and technology policy guy, but I would have never thought we would still be in this place in 2023. And this is frankly the last book I wanted to write. I didn't sure. want to write anything sure. else in politics ever again after a warning. Uh, but here we are. And the guy is still leading the MAGA movement and the movement still represents a pretty naked threat to our democracy. So all of that to say, delighted to be with you, Rick. And I hate what we're talking about today. I, you know, listen, people have often said to me like, oh, you guys must have so much fun doing all the trolling and the fighting. I'm like, for the love of God, believe me, I'm almost 60 years old. I could have retired a long time ago. I would love to go and like rebuild antique airplanes and write more books and write more screenplays and just do that. But instead, you know, it's like this life and death knife fight for democracy every day. And I, and I think this is why your your new book is very valuable, because your prior book and, and the experience you had as somebody who, from the inside, warned people of what was coming and what was happening and the risks that were, were occurring inside that administration, 
I think this book is a way where, where, where to a lot of our, our you know, fellow conservatives and former Republican friends and still current Republican friends, if they read this, they're going to understand they don't have any excuses anymore, right? Yeah, hopefully they do. And I do want to address that grift thing up top, Rick, because people who don't want to hear what you have to say mm-hmm. use that as an excuse right. to try to get others to ignore you. And in this case, you know, they've already started to come after me. Of you course. know, he continues to speak out because it's the grift. I, I want to be really blunt with those people. First, when I wrote the book, a warning. I pledged away all of the proceeds, even though that money could have sustained me from the fact that I sure. lost my job after coming out against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I was on unemployment for months. And for the past two years, my salary has been below the level it was in government. I mean, I gave up a super high paying tech job yep. and the prospect of really high paying jobs outside of this hellhole sure. of politics to be in this fight. So I'd be the first to join you in saying most of the time when people level that accusation of grift, it's bullshit. And the people who I know who've stayed in this fight have done it because it matters. And in fact, the vast majority of them are broke because of it. And, you know, to, to your question about this book, I spent the past two years interviewing people who had served at the highest levels under Trump sure. alongside me, mm-hmm. senior members of Congress and Republicans up and down the board to ask them a simple question. What did Trump want to do in a first term that he would do in a second term? or a MAGA copycat. Right. And I thought I knew everything. I thought I'd seen it all. And I didn't think the answers were going to shock me. And the answers did shock me. I mean, the portrait that was painted across every department and agency, from the Defense Department to DHS to the Department of Veterans Affairs to Capitol Hill, was one of total Democratic implosion. And this wasn't hyperbole. In fact, a lot of the things that people told me that are in this book are things that the ex-president has been alluding to on the campaign trail. I mean, I even thought when I had Trump cabinet secretaries telling me a second term will be entirely about revenge and specifically weaponizing certain departments and agencies. And I thought, well, these are really hyperbolic statements to put in a book. And then Trump himself came out a couple of months ago and said, I am your retribution. Mm -hmm. It's the theme of his reelection effort is revenge. And this book really details step by step how he and his allies will go about it if they retake the White House. I mean, you and I both served in government, both served in administrations and gone through the process of a presidential appointment. Those processes have always been sort of at the discretion of the president. He has a certain number of folks he can appoint to senior executive positions, cabinet level, and then Schedule C stuff all below that. Tell us a little bit about what they're planning to do with the Schedule F idea and the way they're planning to reorganize government if they get back in power. Because I think that's really one of the most chilling things that they have in their in their in their portfolio right now, what's to come. Well, this is one of the really insidious things. And it's a reason why I titled the book Blowback, A Warning to Save Democracy from the Next Trump. That next Trump encapsulates both a return of the former president to the White House or a copycat and his allies. And why do I say a copycat? Why Why would anyone, how could anyone be as bad as Donald Trump? And the answer is what you just said, Rick. It's the personnel. People are policy in government. And the MAGA movement has overtaken the GOP machinery in Washington right. that usually is responsible for staffing up the next Republican administration. So one of the reasons why Trump was so frustrated when he took office is that 
all of the think tanks in Washington, like the Heritage Foundation and AEI and all of these Republican institutions were the ones that gave him recommendations for most of his appointees. And they turned out to be a lot of ex-Bush administration officials. Well, Trump found out that he hated Bush administration officials because he found out they were too moderate for him. (laughs) Yep, there's people like you and me, Rick, that once we got into the administration, it was people who were saying no to the illegal and unethical things he wanted to do. And so Trump, it took him about four years, but he systematically started firing and purging all of those what he called rhino Republicans and ex-Republicans and and all of that slander to make sure he ended up with just MAGA loyalists. Well, in the time since he was president, those MAGA groups have overtaken a lot of those think tanks and institutions that are responsible for staffing the next administration. And they're putting together lists of loyalists for the next go round. So even if Trump's not the next GOP president, whoever is, is largely going to be staffed from those lists. Then you layer on top of it, the thing you just said, Rick, this plan that they cooked up called Schedule F, which is a plan to give the president the authority to fire civil servants throughout the government and replace them with political operatives and make it a much more partisan administration. This matters because the majority of people that serve in your executive branch that serve you, the American people, are not supposed to be political appointees. It's the people that disperse your social security checks, that make sure the roads get paved, and they shouldn't make those decisions based on what political party is in power. But Trump wants to stack the next administration with those henchmen, the people that Steve Bannon calls the stormtroopers and the assassins they want to put in government. And so they have a plan to fire tens of thousands of those civil servants so they can put campaign operatives in those jobs. And so a lot of people I talked to, John Bolton, Mark Esper, people who'd served at the highest levels Mm -hmm. with Trump, were similarly worried about the next administration being staffed with those henchmen instead of experienced public service. You know, I think that is one of the things that we saw a little bit of that in the last year and a half, as you point out, where they they started to fire the, just to loop back for one second, a lot of our more progressive friends probably think, oh, these guys are ex-Bush type people. Well, the reason we got those jobs was not because we were ideological firebrands. It's because we had a professional area or knowledge or background in something. I was a Soviet studies guy. Why do you think I went to the Defense Department, folks, in the late 1980s, early 1990s? There's a reason for that. You know, Miles understood technology and policy and homeland security. So, but the idea that you have people like Rick Grinnell and Cash Patel and this and this whole John Ratliff, this whole constellation of people who their qualifications were loyalty to the president only. There was nothing else there. I think that the prospect of that in the future is even worse because the people he's kept around him now make the weirdos from the first administration look like team of rivals from Lincoln. It, it, it's a much darker outcome if you have these people in you being told pursue vengeance. But let's game it out like who does he send over, do you think, to national intelligence director? Is it Grinnell or somebody like him again? Is it Cash Patel? Is it somebody um, who he's going to you know, purge? Who does he send to justice? I, I kind of game this out a lot in my head. Like, and I'm always curious what other people think. Like, Who's he going to do? Who's he going to put into these jobs to cause the maximum chaos? In the book, Rick, I actually go mm-hmm. through most of the national security cabinet, and I wrote down the names that officials that I interviewed told me who they expected to take those jobs. And it's people like you mentioned, or Pam Bondi from Florida, uh, you know, Stephen Miller as Secretary of Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. Um, You go down the list and it's really, it's quite terrifying. You know, people who demonstrated 
no respect for the rule right. of law in the first Trump term who will run those departments and agencies. I had one official call it a nightmare slate of political appointees mm-hmm. that they predicted. And again, you know, you don't have to believe me. I mean, my whole purpose in writing this was I felt like I could tell you what Miles Taylor thinks is going to happen in the second right. go around. But I wanted it to come from the people who ran those departments and agencies last time for them to say, here were the things that were thwarted that for sure they will go forward with if they have another go round. I mean, look, I always worried about someone like a Stephen Miller actually getting put in the top job at Homeland Security because behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you would hear about these ideas that were manifestly unconstitutional right. and vile and true. Murder them humane. as they cross the fence, uh, there, that sort of thing. For sure. And, and there, w- there won't be people to stop them. You know, there's, a, there's an anecdote in this book about a time that Stephen Miller had quizzed a senior military official about the prospect of bringing armed predator drones from the Middle East to the Gulf of Mexico to destroy migrant boats. Let me be clear. We're talking about unarmed, innocent men, women, and children who are in these boats trying to come to the United States for a better life. And someone using about the possibility of using predator drones to blow them out of the water. That is the type of mindset that will infuse the White House in a Trump 2.0 administration. It's why we have to do this all again. It's why we have to launch this fight again to protect our democracy against uh, the return of Trump again. Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Wilson. Odoo. Modern management made simple. One thing I've always been concerned about, I've written a lot about this, is the rise of a smarter Trump. The rise of a Trump, a guy who has the same terrible set of policies, but who could disguise it long enough to hold office. Now, I think DeSantis was like the great hope of that movement in this election cycle. And I don't I don't know that that's going to go where they think it's going to go. But there are people coming up now through Congress and through policy areas out there. They're building an alternative you know, the old days, Heritage Foundation, AEI, Brookings, all these DC think tanks, they fostered people, frankly, like us, who would go through and, and they would they would do a turn there. They'd go out and do an administration and they'd, they'd implement policy. But now with these like the America First Policy Institute, all these other things, they're building the outside game as well, aren't they? They're building a whole a whole separate infrastructure to sustain this even in the post-Trump era. Well, they really are. I mean, they have taken over most of the levers of the GOP and the party establishment. And that's at a state by state level all around the country. But one of the things that has been really jarring to me, Rick, is there is proof that the MAGA base has grown beyond Donald Trump's control and is willing to go further than he went. And let me give you two examples of his acolytes actually pursuing policies that Trump himself even walked Mm -hmm. away from. One was this idea of busing and dumping migrants around the country as political pawns. 
I remember in February 2019 when Donald Trump called us at the Department of Homeland Security and he wanted us to, in his words, send the murderers, the rapists and the criminals into Democratic blue states Mm -hmm. and cities to create chaos and disorder and to just ship migrants into overwhelmed social services. Now, I went to lawyers in the administration who obviously told me this would be illegal. You can't do something like that. We told the White House and Trump ruefully stood down and decided not to go forward with the policy because it was unlawful. Well, what's happened since the Trump administration? Ron DeSantis in Florida and Greg Abbott in Texas have said, well, that's not too bad for us to do. We're happy to do that. And they've picked up a policy that even Trump himself walked away from and have gladly shipped these migrants as pawns around the country. Second one that I would point to is during the Trump administration, he tried to get my former boss, sure. John Kelly, to go into the FBI. He wanted Kelly to be the leader of the FBI, and he wanted him to gut right. the FBI. Trump was convinced by Kelly and others that if he did that, after he fired Comey, if he went and gutted the building, he would be impeached, and it would be the end of his presidency. Now, we know he was impeached twice anyway. That was enough to scare Trump away from gutting the FBI. He walked Just back once, though. He'll be back. <laughs> what? Yeah, precisely. And what's become one of the biggest talking points for today's Republican Party, mainstream Republicans, it's the, quote, cleansing of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and taking a wrecking ball to the so-called deep state. I mean, this has gone from a fringe policy idea to a mainstream Republican position that the nation's premier investigative agency needs to be gutted. I can hardly think of anything else that would put Americans in graver danger than packing the FBI with a bunch of political options. Look, I mean, when we saw Matt Whitaker take over as attorney general, the institutional friction, thankfully, kept him from going much deeper and further into into some bad actions in terms of the FBI and the, and the DOJ than it could have. I still think it did damage. But if you have a Department of Justice that becomes overtly corrupted by a White House directed set of uh, power, a White House infrastructure that is placed there to execute White House policy. I don't think people understand just how dangerous that becomes. Even Bill Barr, who was a Trump protector, a bullet sponge, a shield, whatever you want to call it. When Mark Meadows came to him with with a package on me and Reed Galen and Stu Stevens and said, go after these guys, even Bill Barr goes, no, not doing it. Now, the fact we will not have a Bill Barr next time, we won't have a Jeff Sessions or even a, or even a Whitaker, we'll have someone much worse. Who do you think would end up at, at, at DOJ in Trump's universe right now? Because I have a couple of theories, but well, I'm curious well, I think about Matt your- would probably. Yeah, I think Matt Whitaker probably would do it. And this is one of the this is one of the great disappointments of this period is mm-hmm. I served with Matt. I worked with Matt. I actually got along well with Matt Whitaker, but people like him knew the president was a crook. Right would talk about the fact that the president was a kook. And now they're still in his orbit groveling in the hopes that they'll get one of these top jobs right. the next go around. And frankly, I'm just done covering for these people. I'm done. I mean, I said last time around, I was only going to go after the president because that's who mm-hmm. was on the ballot mm-hmm. and that's who needed to lose. But these people who behind the scenes used to really just admit to how psychotic the president was, but now in public still cover for him, I'm done. I mean, it, we're, those people need to be called out. And I served with so many of them in the administration who had the same opinions as me every single day. We would talk about the chaos emanating from the Oval Office. And now some of these people are running Trump's think tank 
in Washington. Yep. You mentioned mm-hmm. the America First Policy Institute has become a haven for these ex-Trumpers. I could go down that list oh. of the people at AFPI and tell you what they were saying in private about Donald Trump, who they still say that they love. But really, these were people who thought he was a psychopath. He was unstable. Um, but they're still trying to stay in his orbit. I mean, it's ironic coming for me, Rick, but it's taken me two years to realize this. The biggest danger to our democracy is anonymity. And that's ironic because when I first criticized the president five years ago, I did so anonymously. I did so uh, as anonymous. And I now wish I had come forward sooner. Now, I came forward before 2020 to campaign Mm -hmm. against him in my own name. But what I realized when I did was that stepping forward made it easier for other people to do the same. Courage is contagious. And and the people – it's contagious. And the people who are still, I think, enabling this – are the ones who know better but are remaining anonymous. In fact, the the deep irony of this book, Blowback, is some of the people who were most critical of me from the Trump administration for first speaking out anonymously and then coming forward asked me as I wrote this book, after they gave me these, these, you know, stunning quotes about their opinions of the president, said, but you can't use my name. Of course. And I said, do you realize the irony here? is that you felt like it was cowardly for me to be anonymous, which I ultimately did feel like was cowardly. It's why I unmasked myself. But now you want me to protect your identity. This is an opportunity to come forward, speak out. It'll help others come forward. Now, some people did in this book for the first time. So who are some of the people that you got to come out for the first time? Well, I think some of the most interesting people, Rick, are actually the folks that were the behind mm-hmm. the scenes people, campaign aides, advanced staffers, sure. you know, the person who was the head of protocol for Donald Trump at the State Department and put together all of his meetings with foreign leaders. These people who are sure. household names, but were the ones who had the best bird's eye view of the president and his behavior and the things he would talk about wanting to do. Those are, were the most actually surprising for me is getting those folks who've lived in obscurity and we're happy to go on with their lives, making money, not being associated with the never Trump movement right. or this political fray who had the courage when I spoke to them to say, yeah, you know what? You can attach my name to that quote. And a lot of the time, unfortunately, the cabinet secretaries you haven't heard from were people who still wanted me to protect their identity. I protected and the identities that's of, a big of frustration. two cabinet secretaries and two senior government officials in my first book, very senior government officials who contemporaneously were saying, oh God, he's going to get us in a nuclear war. He's insane. He's crazy. Don't they? But I've honored that off the record agreement as a writer. I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm obligated by, by my own sense of honor to, to agree, hold that agreement. But it blows me away that so many of these people, I think you're exactly right. It's like the people who saw him up close. And again, it's not always the, the, the top names who have whispered in the dark to us and to you and to other people for years now, when they come out, they know they're taking a risk because they know there's, there's a non-zero chance he's president again. Now it really matters if people come out. Now it really matters when people, as you have to your great credit, they take a a, a principled stand and say, look, I'm not going to stay silent. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit in the background. I'm not going to protect myself at the level. I, I feel like in my gut, I should, I'm going to go out and tell the truth. You know, I think Miles and I both agree to anybody listening to this who who is still in that Republican world, still in that orbit, still thinking I might be you know, up for a job in the next administration and I can help change the direction of it. You can't. Nothing you can do will save this country 
and that nothing you can do inside anonymously now will will fix it. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Take it from me. I mean, I'm I'm the cautionary tale. I was I was deluded into thinking that this idea of a so-called axis of adults, a term that I used early in the mm-hmm. administration and shared with Kim Dozier right. at the Daily Beast. I said there's an axis of adults inside the administration that's keeping it on the rails. And I propagated that notion. And probably I've probably encouraged other people to come into the administration because of quotes sure. like that, like, oh, it's not as bad as it looks. They are keeping Donald Trump in check. And in the first year behind the scenes, it felt that way. By year oh, yeah. two, he started to to resurrect these zombie policies that we had said no to. And it was clear we were wrong. We were catastrophically wrong in believing that we had the ability to take this very, very obviously deranged man and teach him how to be an American president. Um, it, it, It was the notion was totally false and it won't work in another go around. And I really hope Republicans, as you say, will recognize that and not go aid and abet the man. Learn mm-hmm. from our mistakes mm-hmm. um, and don't get into the situation that we were in. And, you know, when I there was another thing as we were writing this book, Rick, that um, that we produced, which was called The Whistleblowers is right. a podcast with iHeartMedia. And we interviewed a number of different folks from the Trump administration and told their stories. Andy sure. McCabe, acting director of the FBI, Alex Vindman mm-hmm. from the NSC, Olivia Troy, a whole range of folks. Very different backgrounds, very different politics, but all of them ultimately stood up and blew the whistle on presidential misconduct. And I will tell you, all of them to a person, even though they experienced enormous turmoil in their lives, losing their homes and their jobs and some of them, their marriages and their personal security, their lives were detonated. But every single one of them says they wouldn't have done it differently, that they don't regret coming forward. And that's the thing that changed my life is I knew doing this was going to ruin my life and force me into the world of politics that I hate, hate, (laughs) hate. But the the weight off my off my shoulders morally uh, you can't no, you really can't. And people who are still anonymous, as it were, need to recognize that it will change their lives to actually come forward and speak the truth. And people like you and I, Rick, will give them a bear hug yeah. because there is the possibility of redemption. I even think the people who are closest to Donald Trump right now, if they left his circle, I would welcome them into our movement because we need a big, diverse coalition uh, I, to prevent this. from. I, I have yeah. I try to have enough grace in my heart. Even people that that I think have done terrible things, if they will help us avert a more terrible thing, they get a break. They get a they get a hearing. They get a they get a, an escape hatch. And you never want to leave somebody on the other side of an equation with no escape hatch, with nothing at all. For sure, because then then they'll do something even more horrible. I mean, I'll give you an example, and I mentioned this to someone earlier. Is you know when I came out publicly against Trump. One of the people who was most vicious about me in the media was Stephanie Grisham. She was oh, yeah. Trump's communications mm-hmm. director. And of course, he had to dispatch people to tear me down. 
I'm sure that some of those things that were said by her and the White House directly resulted in the death threats sure. we were getting, the fact that we had to be in safe houses under armed guard. I mean, life reached the absolute lowest of the low because of people like that. But you know what? After January 6th, when Stephanie left the administration and said, I can't do this anymore, and she turned full frontal against him, uh, you know, I, I connected with her and I said, it's water under the bridge. Sure. Welcome to the fight. And and I actually now consider her a friend. I'm going to see her later well, give, tonight. Give, give her my, uh, give, and, and say, that's say hi for me doing. because I've been, I was very tough on her. I, I, ever, I don't think I ever spoke to her after she left, but I was very tough on her because, you know, for everybody out there who's, who's still in that world, if you didn't get it on January 6th, what was going on, if you didn't understand the terrain on January 6th, what was going to happen to this country if you came back, then take a break. Go out, look at the blue sky, think it through, because that was the day of all the other horrors we watched in that four-year period. That was the day that should have told people in the most loud, clear, blunt terms, this is going to go very badly. So, Miles, talk about, are you going to be out touring on the book? Are you taking, you're going out across the country, you doing media? What's your What's your plan for the next couple promos? Yeah, you know. I'll be doing book chats and signings in different places around the country. I'll be in Los Angeles. I'll be in New York City. I'll be here in Washington, D.C. I was just in Nashville and a few other spots. And uh, you go to books and and things in Franklin can take where you went in Nashville. No, no, no. I went to an event not terribly far from there, but that would have been the place to go. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got a list of the spots. If you, you know, check it out on Twitter at Miles Taylor USA. But but I will say, you know, I'll be very frank about this, Rick. In this environment, it's a really weird environment to go out publicly and have these conversations. I've had multiple people warning me about security. Both of my book tours I had, without going into it, I had security at a lot of the things I did because, yeah, look, I started this in 2015 and I I don't want to live behind a giant fence with 30 cameras around my property, but I do because crazy people live in the world and threaten me. And you know the same story. You've been there. Yeah. And well, you know, one of the one of the conversations I had when I was writing this book was I mm-hmm. saw Liz Cheney at an event and we were we were talking. Her dad was there too, uh, who used to be my mm-hmm. boss. I worked in Dick Cheney's office at the beginning, or that was my start. In the Bush <laughs> mine too, but and not mine too, but the first me, Bush administration. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. a baby bushy. You know, Rick. No was a shit, man. Bushy. I was I was um, twenty three or twenty five when I went there. So I was I felt I feel like yeah. it seems like a long time ago now. <laughs> In a really different America, Incredibly. you know, and, and and that's one of the things that Liz was saying to me. She said, you know, when my dad mm-hmm. was vice president, having a security detail in Washington was sort of a mark of status. Not that right. she felt that way, but the public perception was, you know, if you have a security detail, Lights you're a sirens. big timer. Yeah. And it was because you were important. Yeah, it didn't mean, you know, necessarily that you were under threat. Um, but as she stood there with her bodyguards mm-hmm. behind her, she made the point. Right. Now it's not that. It's a symbol of the actual death threats yeah. her and her family were receiving. I mean, there was a period of time where she couldn't do public events in Wyoming because the security team was saying, you know, people want yep. to kill you. And, you know, member of Congress after member of Congress that I spoke to for this book brought up that fear of physical safety. And, you know, some of them who are still serving, who I wish would step forward, said they've, you know, gotten concealed carry licenses for their daughters and sons to carry pistols because they're so worried 
about what might happen in their home districts if they create any daylight between them right. and Donald Trump. This is unlike anything we've seen I, in I, modern you're, America. You're absolutely right. I wrote, a, I wrote about that. A former member of Congress, a buddy of mine, who in January of 17 went out and did a town hall meeting. And the first question out of the box was, are you going to support Mr. Trump 100% of the time? And he gave the right answer. He said, I hope so. I'm a conservative. I want to work with him on tax cuts and regulation. Did it. But if it's not right for our people here in the district, I won't do it. I'll stick with you. And guy gets back up. No, no. I ask you, you need to promise right now 100% with Trump. And he says, I can't promise you that. If it's not right for the district, I'm not. By the time he got off the stage, his wife was like 911-ing his phone because the death threats were already coming in from crazy people. And so that is part of the, the future if we don't fight this thing down is that the normalization of threats and violence will just get more and more and more pronounced. And, you know, it, it, folks, believe me, I don't think Miles or I would, tr would trade the liberation and the, and the sense of doing the right thing. But the death threats and the harassment, it's wearing on your soul. I'm not going to, not going to, not going to minimize that, but yeah, I mean, you know, like my family, Rick, no, they don't deserve this shit. I mean, maybe if you want to make the case that I do, fine. But the people that I love don't deserve to be on the receiving end of this vitriol and these attacks. And I hesitated whether to do it, but I did it anyway. A couple months, I just posted a compilation of their voicemails and I pinned it right to the top of my Twitter just so mm -hmm. people can hear a little sample of what these folks try to bring into your life right. for just telling the truth. And this is something, again, I always say if I had come out and opposed Bush and quit the Bush administration in protest, the worst thing that would have happened to me is the RNC would have said, yeah, who the we disown this, this guy. guy. <laughs> and that would have been it. You know, yeah, it, it wouldn't be family members receiving pictures of their homes and my nieces. That wouldn't be happening in the Bush years. Yep. But this environment has gotten so much more vitriolic because of the ex-president. What worries me about a second term is you can see this happening on steroids when he tries to co-opt domestic security forces. It was one of the things as I talked to national security officials that served with me during the administration mm -hmm. for this book that was really jarring is, uh, you know, a number of people said that there were plans on the shelf to go create Trump's own mercenary force. He yep. wanted a Wagner Group style force mm -hmm. like Putin that responded directly to him. And the NSC mm -hmm. had to shut that down multiple times. And then he wanted to go deploy DHS counterterrorism officers into U.S. cities to assert power. Absolutely. You saw it in Portland. Uh, and I had the top one of the top counterterrorism officials during the Trump administration told me that he felt like in a second term, Trump would do it again. And he equated it to a junior Gestapo. I mean, these are the types of comments that, again, seven years ago, you, you would have said right. that is crazy. You know, that person is really inflating the threat. And now a very serious lifetime counterterrorism official at the highest level saying, no, Trump wants his own junior Gestapo. And next time he will do it. And that's alarming because the president does have pretty expansive oh, authority sure. to deploy DHS forces across the United States and could do the same thing with the U.S. military. It's what Trump wanted to do. Uh, with the Insurrection right. Act, and it's why he brought it up in front of us on so many uh, on so many occasions. Well, Miles Taylor, listen, thank you so much for being on the show today. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Have a, a great and safe book tour. I wish you all the best, folks. The book is Blowback by Miles Taylor, and I highly recommend that it. it is available on Amazon and everywhere fine books are sold. And thank you again for joining us on the Enemies List.
folks, you're going to be surprised to hear that RFK Jr. is back on the enemies list so soon. Um, look, I've been telling you for months and uh, everyone with a brain has been telling you for months that this guy is batshit crazy. That he is Steve Bannon's meat puppet, that he's here to disrupt the Democratic Party uh, and to help throw the election to Trump by either either causing maximum disruption inside the Democratic primary or by breaking out, running as an independent, trying to pull uh, independent liberal votes away from Biden. Okay. But this weekend, a tape came out. Not not reporting about a tape, <laughs> but a tape came out where RFK made several incredibly striking and damning pronouncements. One was that COVID had been engineered um, to spare the lives of Chinese and Jews. I'm not sure you can detect that that's anti-Semitic as hell, but that's um, anti-Semitic as hell. Okay? This is a guy who is so wrapped into the conspiracy craziness that he's bought into the inevitable taproot of all conspiracies in this country, which is, of course, it's about the Jews. It's insane. Anyone supporting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and not and not seriously re-examining all their moral and personal political predicates is in is is a enabler of this kind of vile anti-Semitism and insanity. Now, the other thing he said during this, which I which is is running a close second, is that the U.S. is engaged in racially targeted bioengineering of weapons. Um, nice science fiction fantasy, bro but also insane. You are on the enemies list, RFK Jr., and you will be there until you were, your humiliating finish in this race. Um, and if you had any sense of honor, decency, or the desire to preserve your family legacy, you would leave the race. But until then, you are on the enemies list. Thanks again for listening to the enemies list. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at the Rick Wilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.